Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people with news, views and expert interviews. Hi and welcome to another episode of Constructive Voices. I'm Steve Randall and as the industry continues to face the challenge of labour shortages, we're focusing this time on attracting new talent. Kevin McLaughlin has taken a proactive approach to apprenticeships and education. Our industry at the moment, I, I believe, it's got about 23,000 apprentices. It is woefully short. If we started to solve the problem today with the amount of people that's needed and will be needed, it will take five years at least before them people are totally competent to go and do a job to the standards required. More from Kevin soon, and Peter Finn, our man on the ground, will also be talking about one of the attractive parts of the constructive industry, the ability to use your skills to travel the world. We're excited to announce the first ever Global Women in Construction virtual event, happening on the 3rd and 4th of November 2021. This will be a quarterly event along with a LinkedIn group for you to have ongoing networking opportunities. Our global guests will be discussing how women globally can collaborate to create sustainable change, especially in light of the IPCC report. Why corporate social responsibility should be at the heart of your business, construction contracts and collections for women, the backbone of the construction industry. And last, but certainly not least, Project Management 101 and becoming a certified construction project manager. To discover more, go to our website, constructive-voices.com. The Global Women in Construction virtual event is sponsored by Commercial Construction Coffee Talk, Commercial Construction and Renovation Magazine, and Constructive Voices. Peter Finn, Pete the Builder, is here, of course, on Constructive Voices. Pete, how's things? All good, Steve. How are you, my man? Yes, good, thanks. Although, here in the UK and where you are in Ireland, summer is drawing to a close fast without ever really having got going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the good thing about being from our, our kind of climates is that you can always look forward to a, to a sunnier holiday. What we're basically going to be talking about today, how that connects to construction, is that it gives you the opportunity to be able to travel the world and see different aspects of our own industry in those areas and also use our construction qualifications and our construction experience as the opportunity to get work and as pretty much as I'd call it your ticket to travel. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit later on today, but I think we've got a brilliant guest on before that as well. Oh, we have. Kevin McLaughlin, MBE, who, I mean, really the the whole travel thing ties in with this as well. It's It's part of how to attract people into the industry. And certainly younger people, you know, they want those opportunities to travel the world and do different things. So what Kevin's done is he's created a college, social good, apprenticeships, and it's all about attracting people into the industry. And in fact, he's so great at the training. He was awarded an an MBE, an honour by uh, the Queen in the UK for his training services. So I'm just a fantastic guest. And I mean, attracting people into the industry, we've talked about the the shortage of labor uh, in the construction industry in recent episodes, Pete. It's it's vital, isn't it? Yeah, it really is, Steve. And and like Kevin has taken things to a new level there. Like he he actually has a a decoration company, painting decoration company, and he took it upon himself to rather than waiting for the system to supply people to his company, he said, you know what, I'm going to become the system. And he he really took joint leaps um, in terms of getting people that experience that, that they needed to be able to work for him. A fantastic guest. It's going to be a really interesting listen. And then 
When we come back, Steve, me and you, we're going to get our suitcase packed and we are travelling the world. Constructive Voices media partner in Ireland and the United Kingdom is Construction Industry News. Since 2002, Construction Industry News has been focused on the very latest projects and developments within the UK and Ireland. Now, London-born Kevin McLaughlin started his long career in construction just after leaving school in the early 70s, with four years as an apprentice painter for Islington Council in London before progressing to a supervisor role. But after 16 years, he decided to start his own business. And as he's been telling Constructive Voices' Henry MacDonald, he realised over the years that he could offer something that further education was not. And having started his own apprentice scheme, he took training to a new level. I'm not very happy, never have been as an employer with FE. So we uh, started delivering our own training in-house to supplement what FE was doing. Then we, we opened up our college, our training centre, where we work with Islington Council, um, with people from the community, I homeless, um, people just want to get into the industry, whatever, there's no criteria. And then as a business, we, we work as a principal coatings contractor and also as a, as a subcontractor to tier ones. We've been trading now 30 odd years and continues. We've got a lot of people being with us for 30 odd years, which we always think is a good sign. Uh, that's fantastic. And uh, you obviously you know, achieve what you wanted to achieve, but in terms of size, workforce numbers, that kind of thing, where, where are you at at the moment? I'd say about 170 employees, and that's a mix between PAYE and labour-only subcontractors. We don't subcontract per se, um, but we do employ labour-only subcontractors and we give them price work for about 170 people. Now, you've already written on social media about the labour shortages in the industry. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, unfortunately for our industry, and I've obviously been here for so long, I've seen lots of different ways. When I started, there would have been cash payments and that and yeah, what they used to call the lump thankfully for me i've always worked with at the beginning with major contractors so everything was done through the books but once the, the big contractors and when we're going back to where we are to get to where we are the, the mcalpines the langs the bovises etc etc the wimpies they were major construction companies they'd have massive workforces they decided in I'd say the late 70s, ran about the winter of discontent into the 80s to become management contractors. That in turn opened up opportunity for people like me because then we could get, go and subcontract work off them. But what that meant was the big builders, when they had their workforces, they understood that you've got to replenish your workforce. And they always had training schemes and apprentices. And most people ran about my age in construction, chippies, brickies, et cetera, would have done apprenticeship with major contractors. So the real turning point was when they started to outsource. It made it very easy for them. The unions were getting a hold. It gave them the position they employed no one, so they had no responsibility, no holidays, no, 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 nothing at all. But it enabled people like me to start our business to subcontract. And therein lies the problem, because that, then people, they became lifestyle businesses. People like me would get an opportunity, develop it. Some would work, some wouldn't. If you did develop it, the money you earn was your money, money that you wouldn't dream of earning in, in your lifetime when, when you come into the industry. But a lot of companies never reinvested. And then when the euro came in and then a big Irish workforce went home because there was more money, that left a gap. But then it was filled by 
Eastern Europeans because uh, first it was the, I think it was the A3 and the A8, and they was only allowed under the rules of terms and conditions, only allowed to work as self-employed businessmen. And then everyone calls all these building workers who are self-employed businessmen, entrepreneurs, which is rubbish. The point was that companies who were getting the work, again, people like me, wasn't reinvesting in their workforce. They wasn't training because their goal was, let's get in, I'm going to retire sometime in the future. I'm not investing any money. That is when the real skill shortage started. Now, that, that's going back now more than likely 30 years. Our industry at the moment, I, I believe, has got about 23,000 apprentices. It is woefully short, absolutely woeful. What we've then, the big workforce that we've developed, especially in the south of England, which is the Eastern European market, they basically replaced the Irish. They was excellent and still are excellent workers, got a different mentality and attitude because they've been given opportunities that they never had behind the Iron Curtain. They've developed their businesses or their, their, their lifestyle. Unfortunately, what with COVID, what with Brexit, and what with Euro, the price of uh, the, the Euro dropping, I mean, when they come over, they would have more likely be on one, the rate would have been 146, and they're sending that home to build houses by land. And therefore, most of them, when, when COVID hit and when Brexit hit, not that I think Brexit is a bit, bit difficult to define what's happened, a lot of people have gone home. And then people are looking there, and there was a lot of businesses like mine who employed nothing but 100% of Eastern European labour. And because they'd never developed their own businesses, and that is now beginning to have a, a real big impact upon the industry. We know that the big builders, and I, I work for enough of them, they're behind programme on lots of their jobs. The results are coming out now that their profit margins have been slashed. Some of them are saying, oh, we're very healthy in that. But then, but if you can't get the labour, you can't do the job. And that is critical. And we've struggled this year. We can only take on a certain amount of work now. We can't grow greatly because we can't get the labour. It just isn't there. It's called price inflation. What everyone thinks, oh, it's a quick fix. We'll get these people in. It doesn't happen. To be competent, if, if you do an apprenticeship, three years now, then anyone, whether you're an engineer, an architect, or a decorator, or a chippy, whatever, whatever profession you're in, to be competent, to be someone who can make money for a business, it's five or six years. So you can't tomorrow take on 20,000, 100,000 apprentices and, and it's solved. If we started to solve the problem today with the amount of people that's needed and will be needed, it will take five years at least before then people are totally competent to go and do a job trustworthy and, and complete it in, in a timely fashion to the standards required. Kevin, just I wanted to zero in on a figure you, you, you threw into the mix there. There are about 23,000 apprentices, and that's not enough, you said. What would the figure be? What, what would you think would be an optimum figure? Difficult to say because when, when we're talking 23,000, we're talking... England, Wales, and Scotland, not Northern Ireland. If we had a full workforce now, apparently we need another 300,000 on top of what, what we haven't actually got at the moment. So I, I genuinely think we need 100,000 a year coming in for a few years to really bolster because no one really knows until furlough finishes and until we get onto a level playing field in terms of the economy, which I do, it feels like we're getting there. We, we most definitely are. That we're back to normal, then we'll know the real problems and, and the impact that's going to have. It will most absolutely have an impact on zero carbon by 2050. Just no way it's going to happen unless we do 
some major training because there's a lot of new skills needed for that actual program. But on top of that, we're still building an enormous amount of houses, which we still need to. We've got to refurbish so many. What with Grenfell, the report that undoubtedly is going to criticise our industry from top to bottom. And that's going to create standards and competencies that don't exist at the moment, which will mean more investment that people genuinely don't want to do because most people in what I call lifestyle businesses, trade suppliers, I don't think understand the word investment and long-termism. So a very, very big ask for the industry. It's a very very big ask politically, though, isn't it, to say we need 100,000? I mean, are we talking... We're not talking about immigrants here. We're talking about people going into the industry. I mean, could you just be clear about that? Uh, we are not talking about immigrants at all. No, no, no. We're talking about anybody. Mm-hmm. anybody. And I think therein lays the, lies the problem. People don't want to come to the industry now. We should be looking at our youngsters coming through who haven't got great mm-hmm. levels of achievement on exams, but they're not interested. Everyone, mm-hmm. like us as a business, we take on apprentices. At the moment, we're looking for five or ten. We cannot get them. We'll take them on. We'll give really? them three months trial, and they don't last. How can the industry then attract more younger people to choose construction as a career? The CITB have got, got a website called Go Construct, which is tailored and aimed at social media for young people to pick up. And there's two problems with it. One, they're not engaging. They'll look. The record shows they look, but they're not engaging. And two, which is the real issue, the industry, the industry being businesses like mine, which there's, I mean, I think 97% of businesses are SMEs, are micros or SMEs, but they're not making the commitment to train, and this is the problem. So you've got a kind of double whammy. The kids, they're looking at the construction industry training board. This is the industry, how great it is, and believe me, I think it's great. It's been absolutely great for me and lots of my friends, but businesses are not taking on apprentices. Whether it's going to change, but they haven't done for years. You've only got to look at the statistics. They're just not interested. What do you think is holding them back from entering the, the industry? Conditions. I mean, if you look now, we live in a modern world, uh, or we always, no matter what level you come in at, we're in the modern world. But the modern world, is, as it is now compared to when I came in, there's more opportunity for, for better types of jobs, the digital world. Um, it, it's a whole new world. People can sit at home on their computer and actually make money or try to make money. If you come into the industry, you've got to get up in the morning. You've got to be there. It, the conditions are not the greatest. And there's a generational gap, and we are not with that gap. And I'm not, and I'm not saying I know the answer. There is absolutely a difference in attitude from young people compared to when I went into work in the 70s. It's a different mindset. It's a different upbringing. It's a different education. It's a different priority. And I honestly do not know the answer. But that's the cohort that we're looking at to, to bring in. And it's not happening. Should the industry be more embedded in schools and colleges, you know, proper facilities, actual construction sites, if you like, to drum up the, the painters and decorators, the roofers, the, the electricians, the engineers, and so on of the future? Should you be going into the schools, having like an almost permanent presence there, given the importance of the sector? Absolutely. There's a few points there. The schools are not very open to business, or they wasn't. I gave up personally. In Islington, I used to go to schools and give talks, gave up. Uh, teachers were not receptive to it. It's about Ofsted. If you're going to come into a trade into the industry, uh, you don't need an O-level as a C of GCSE as they are now and whatever. You don't need it. And so they don't like that because they don't want their kids leaving. And it's been a big issue when kids had to stay on to their 18 
the kids who don't want education, then they, they, they throw them off to an FE college and say, I'll do a construction course. They go in for a few hours a day and, and then they get a certificate at the end, which is worthless. And their work ethic is nil because they've never had to get up in the morning. And so now we're talking to kids 18 and I finished my four-year apprenticeship at 19 you're, or 20. You're, you're looking at kids now at 18, 19, beginning to start work and they're behind on the back foot. They just don't want the conditions that we've got there. If they're capable of doing an A-level, they're not going to look at bricklaying and decorating and carpentry. That, that's absolute fact. Um, I've never had a kid with an A-level do an apprenticeship with us, and we've had hundreds of apprentices over the years. So the kids that really should be going into the trade, people like me who left school with no qualifications, instead of being thrown into FE, they should be relationships with businesses. They're not there. Or schools should start to look at education for work training. There's no direct pathway from schools into industry. The industry, at a high level, CLC level, and and their predicament is that CLCB Construction Leadership Council, which is all the tier one buildings, their predicament is they will absolutely say, and they're dead right, we need people in the industry. But because they don't employ people, they're like middlemen. And they they need to encourage, one, their supply chain, and I, I think they should do more for that. But, but also, the schools, um, they do try getting into the schools continuously. And I, I, I'm bear witness to them. Every meeting I've ever had, we need to get into the schools. We need to get it. it it's not working. Whatever we're using, and, and the CITB's got go construct, the major builders, absolutely, they send their people out to give talks, to show demonstrations, to invite children to building sites. There is something that's not clicking. One of the big things I keep going back to is the supply chain not being willing to take people on, to train them. They don't ever see that investment as being worthwhile. Well, I know for my business it's excellent and we always take apprentices on because it's a good investment. The other side of it is that the big builders, if I was to go onto a building site and say to them, I'm not going to wear a hard hat, they wouldn't let me on. They, they, they're very good at regulatory things. You mustn't do this, you mustn't do that. But to me, the absolute no-brainer, they've got supply chains that, that basically deliver all of their work, yet they have nothing in place that says, if you're going to work with us and we're going to spend hundreds of thousands or millions of pounds a year with you over a, a long-term relationship, then you have to invest in your business. There is not one that insists upon that. And I find that very, very strange because if they was to say to any given business, enough's enough, you're not going to work for us anymore unless you have, and we're talking 10, 15% of your workforce has been trained on an official apprenticeship or a training scheme that you're investing in your business, you're not going to price work for us. They would know that they can't make any money. But for some reason, um, the, the builders will always say, yes, yes, it's a problem. The kids won't come in. Absolutely true. You'll never hear them saying the supply chains won't train because to have an apprentice, you have to be employed correctly, P-A-Y-E, given conditions, sent to college. Supply chains very rarely will do that, and that's the problem. You, you paint a, a, an industry that many ways is either in crisis or facing a crisis. It, there are an awful lot of large construction projects either underway or going, going to go ahead in the UK. Are, are these going to be pushed down the pipe? Are they going to be postponed or delayed as a result of labour shortages? I think what's going to happen, I think the big pension funds and the big investors, we've got two types of people. You've got the government, which is, I think, the major player in construction in terms of spending. They're never going to stop because they have to, because they know 
it, 7% GDP being construction, 6 or 7%. They know they pump money in. That creates work. That creates uh, development. That creates investment uh, into the infrastructure. We're talking HS2, Crossrail, Tideway, all the big projects. But in terms of the private investor, the, the hedge funds, the, the pension funds from the Far East, they invest in London because London's a safe haven to develop office buildings, to develop residential buildings that are sold in the Far East. There will come a time where the, the, the scales are becoming balanced and it will be tipped in the other way. It won't become economically viable to develop. That is what's going to make a change because then the development stops and then we don't need so many workers. And then all of a sudden, we, we have actually got enough people to do the work, but we're actually, the economy is being held back because they're, they're I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll get to a tipping point soon where you, you buy the land, you, you, your building costs, material costs are spiralling, and then the actual financial model doesn't work. And then people will say, right, we'll shelve that. Let's, let's sit this out and wait for another time. Or we'll start investing in, let's say, Canada or US, wherever they, because they've got a free hand where they invest their pension funds. That's how I think it could happen. Because there is no point investing the multi-millions to build buildings, buy land, and do everything that we know that the development has to do, and then make a profit. Kevin, how far away are we from that tipping point, potentially? I think within a year. I think if you look at today, Construction Inquirer, Balfour Data just announced their results. £4 billion turnover, £23 million profit. That is not a good return. A one little percentage move and that £23 million becomes a, a negative bottom line, which is really dangerous. I, I don't know. I, you, your major tier ones would tell you, but their margins are beginning to be cut. The workload is increasing, but I, I understand one la very large player will hold their prices for two weeks. I mean, we're back into inflationary times where you're, where, where something like this mm. is happening. How long it's going to be, I don't know. But unless things change, and, and I honestly can't see how they can, within a year you're going to start seeing some kind of rumblings of higher inflation, people not investing, shelving of jobs, and more importantly, there will be liquidations in both the supply chains and I'm pretty certain there's got to be a big company up there in the Carillion moulds that's got to go soon because the margins are being pushed. From when we lived in caves, we had to build something, we had to live somewhere, we had to cover our heads. That's never going to stop. As I mentioned before, we've got zero carbon. I just can't see how that's going to go and, and because we just don't have the workforce. And secondly, you've then got things like the Grenfell Tower disaster, what the real impacts of that's going to be and that may as we see at the moment buildings everywhere with the cladding coming down i think when you get to internally whether the door fire doors were good enough definitely in our industry we, we we have so much work going on now on internal spread of flame which is communal areas with, with paints that will protect you for an hour the work is going to be there whether it's prioritized to to do certain things i don't know but it appears that everything is coming back into the economy, mm. a million vacancies. That's all positive. But mm. if we can't get people to deliver, then we're going to stand still. That's interesting what you said about zero carbon. The problem isn't the will. It's just there isn't enough people to fix the problem. Do you stand by that? Do you, are you fairly certain of that? Yeah, I, I think if, if you was to look at the, um, the studies being carried out by the Department of the Environment, um, 
by construction industry, by the civil engineers? What 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 is actually needed in your house, my house? What needs to be done is going to take one investment to people. Every house in this country, every building in this country has to have something done to it. And that's on top of everything else that normally goes on. Yeah, I, I stand by it, absolutely. If there was money to be made, all the big companies would be developing and investing into departments to deal with zero carbon. But that's that. But then they need the supply chain to deliver it. And one, the supply chain's not there, that the, the training isn't there, the expertise isn't there. It's all got to be taught and learned and be developed. And then there's the money. So it, it, it's, yeah, it, it's totally negative view, but it hasn't happened. We've been talking about it for 10 years. Going back to the sort of the, young, the younger workers and and the workers of the future, what would you say to any young person who's thinking about entering the industry? What, what would you say to them in terms of trying to convince them to cross over and, and get onto the site or whatever? Personally, I, I came in and and I think if you look at the, the major players in the industry, the bricklayers and whatever, if you take their CEOs, people like me who started a business, invariably they would have left school with no or little qualifications they would have gone into the industry to make to make money and then they would have just developed their skills naturally and gone on and most people who own big uh, construction supply chain companies come from that background to a young kid i would say to them yeah you've got to suffer the crap but once you get through and then it's about as with anything in life whether you're a sportsman or a high flyer in the city is your ambition and your drive will get you where you want to go. But there is no industry like construction with opportunity. There is absolutely no, no industry because there are so many pathways. The system is in place to get people. If you wanted to get on, you get the educational bug up, say 23. The system's already there. The industry's got open arms to you, but it is a great industry with massive opportunities and always will have. But you have to start off at the bottom. And the strength of the businesses of people like me, we've all started at the very bottom. And so we know our industry inside out. We know our people inside out. And, and, and I think knowing your people is the best attribute that we've all got. And you only do that by being one of the people and working with them and understanding the problems and then trying to develop your business around that with a, a sympathetic or an em- empathetic feeling for the people. There is no other industry with as many opportunities. And I suppose, you know, from you being a lifetime in the business, you can look at look at a project, a physical thing, a building, whatever, and say, we painted that, we built that. Absolutely. When I started as an apprentice working for Islam Council, we'd go into a void, which is an empty property. It was rotten. And by the time you left, it was gleaming. There is so much to be said for job satisfaction. From me, when I was actually decorating, to go in and do something and turn back and look at it is a wonderful feeling. Now I've got a business and we're central London based. We've done three or four of the Olympic venues. We've done theatres, football stadiums, hospitals. We've done everything. And I've been in multi-million pound apartments. I've been in rundown council estates. We work everywhere, and it's never forever. And and you and I try around London or walk around London. I can say, oh, we done that building, we done that. We worked at the British Museum, we worked at the Science Museum, we done this hotels. We done. I should think we done most hotels in London at some stage. And that is a, it's a really good feeling to say, oh, well, we done that. And and so 
Yeah, one of the other great points of the industry is you'll go to a job. You could be there a week, three months, six months. After that, you're gone. You're somewhere else. I went out one day this week. I was on a 58-story tower block in Canary Wharf looking out over London. I then went to another site, which was in the West End, the highest end resi on the Crown Estates. And it just continues like that. It is just so nice to be able to do that. But, but at my stage, I'm in total control now. So it's a different element. But we need people coming through. Everyone thinks they go to college, FE, on a construction course. I think people need to understand that FE is education run by the education authorities delivering what they want. It is not in conjunction with the industry. The industry is one thing, construction training in college is another. It needs to be more aligned. There needs to be a direct feed into the industry. Um, the colleges are about getting kids in, and it's very, very sad. They come in for two years, they get a diploma certificate, and they're, they're not worth the paper they're written on. One in four get a job. So that's three quarters, 75% of kids don't get jobs. It is a shame on our society that the co colleges get these kids because they can't leave school. The schools don't want them to take exams because they're not going to pass, and that means their Ofsted results are bad. So they throw them into FE colleges who get good funding. They deliver what they're going to deliver, and the kid walks out 18, 19, unemployable. It's a national disgrace. And, and, and I think that the, the, this country needs to know that the FEs do not deliver training for construction. When you've got an apprentice like me and I send them to a college, yes, they're, they're working to a set standard. But when they get kids and they tell them they're going to do an apprenticeship and it's wrong, they're not doing an apprenticeship, they've not got a job and they won't get a job. Constructive Voices. So, Pete, we've heard from Kevin McLaughlin. I mean, what a, a fantastic thing he's doing and, and really kind of changing the way that people are brought into the industry at a time when... Labour shortages are one of the big challenges for construction. Yeah, like that, that was such an interesting listen. And, uh, you know, I think we can all take a, a little bit of good out of what Kevin has done there. In construction, me and you talk about this all the time, Steve. In construction, we face challenges all the time. You know what? You can either sit back and give out about them or you can be proactive and you can take the opportunity to do something about it. And obviously, after listening to Kevin there, that's what he's done. And he is also uh, benefiting from that because he is bringing through properly trained, skilled tradesmen the way that he wants them to. And also, he's obviously given a bit back to the greater good as well. Well, a lot back to the greater good. So, you know what? Fantastic. Listen, it links in lovely with what we said that we talk about, Steve, which is... Um, how when you're working in construction, how you, you should really value the qualification and value the experience that you've got. Because sometimes as construction workers or people that work in the construction industry, maybe there's a little bit of snobbery there where, you know, the office worker's going around in the lovely clean suit and they're looking down their nose at you a little bit. And uh, you're maybe walking around in your high-vis jacket or, you know, even if you're a construction professional, you've got your steel toe cap boots on and your hard hat is kind of upset your hair a little bit and you know other people are, are kind of looking at you kind of going oh i'm here in my nice fancy suit in my office well do you know what i would like to say that i have never felt that way and i really mean that because i, I served my apprenticeship as we uh, said before as a carpenter and then i went on i done some more additional uh upskilling in terms of i got my management and some other qualifications and then i i opened up my own business and and i'm now a non-the-job builder as we do always say but 
during that process, I gained tools in my arsenal which allowed me to go to any part of the country in Ireland. And I went to England and I'd done a bit of work in England as well. But I also got to do some traveling to many places around the world. And every time I went to these places, I was very quickly able to get work and I was very quickly able to settle in. I was able to get a network of friends very quickly. I was able to start producing a, a few quid. So I went traveling with my mates and we went and we, uh, as we all do, I, like my, my network of friends has got people of, of all different shapes and sizes and qualifications and, and got different things going on in their lives. And um, the construction guys were always the guys that got the jobs first and then the guys with the with, with degrees of, you know, different levels of uh, in, in, in different um, industries. They, they would get jobs a little bit later, but because of the, the way that the construction industry works, you can go in and you can prove yourself very quickly um, on a site and you, you can usually get yourself set up. So be proud of what you have when, you, when you've got a construction qualification or if you've got uh, experience in construction because you can take that and you can do a whole lot more with it than people can sometimes expect. Yeah, and you know what? I think there's a, a shift that's beginning. I mean, as valuable as degrees can be for various industries and, and professions, there does seem to be a, a shift towards valuing experience which was the way it always was you know way back and then we went through a period where bits of paper seemed to, to to sort of trump anything else and now i think people are saying well you know actually we want people with the experience and so if you've if you've had that opportunity to travel the world and i mean we've talked in previous episodes about climate change and sustainability and how some parts of the world are already building in the way that perhaps other parts need to start building to face up to the challenges of climate change you know getting experience of how things work in different parts of the world it's, it's going to be invaluable for people yeah without doubt like i'm never going to underestimate the fact that people in other industries put in some serious amount of hours and gain massive knowledge for whatever industry they're working in. And I, I'd never underplay that. I'd never have the reverse, the snobbery, whatever that word, whatever that expression is. The way I look at it is if someone has put time and effort into gaining experience or, or getting um, to a high quality of workmanship, whether it's whether it's a trade or whether it's a surgery as, as a doctor, I would always commend that person for their commitment to, to whatever they're doing. And I would always say, fair play to you. But I would never be the type of person that would say, that guy over there has got a degree, therefore he's better than me or some guy who's working with me on a building site or somebody like that. I would obviously say there's no point in having those qualifications if you don't put them to good use. So, you know, you can have all the, the um, accolades on paper and theoretically, but you cannot beat experience. You cannot beat the fact that that uh, a person that gets up every day, goes out and works and does a good job and gains the experience along the way. And they have the integrity to make sure they do it right. And what this does is it gives you the opportunity for what I would have was called like a like a, a little short term kind of a induction, you nearly call it or whatever. Well, basically, when you get a start on a building site, you're forced three to four days. You're kind of watched. And if you do a good job, you know, you're going to keep on progressing and staying on the site. Obviously, if you come in and you're not capable of doing what you've been asked to do, or if you've told somebody that you're going to be able to do a certain aspect and you can't do it, well, then that's different. Now, this is not just in terms of tradies on the site, literally laying blocks or doing carpentry or plastering walls. This goes to surveyors. This goes to, you know, if you walk into an architect's office and you start claiming that you're X, Y, and Z and you can't do it, you won't last too long either. Same when it comes to engineering. So qualifications are absolutely necessary and they're a vital part of your training 
training and all that type of stuff, but they're not the be all and end all. And when it comes to traveling, which is what we were, we were kind of starting off this conversation on, you get the opportunity to go to any part of the world, basically knock, knock on the door, or open the gate of a building site and go, how are you doing? I'm here. I'm, I've got X, Y, and Z experience. Uh, give me, give me your start. Let me, let me show you what I can do. And pretty much you won't have to knock on too many doors before you'll get a start because there's so much construction happening all around the world. There's so much opportunity all around the world. Now, look, I'm talking a bit old school there. I'm talking about probably the experiences that I had when I was a, a, a young man traveling the world and seeing lots of sites and having lots of fun. But nowadays you can, you can prearrange all these things. You could have a job fully organized before you even leave. You could have two or three different jobs organized before you even leave your own country to travel to a different place. And you can kind of get there and, and meet with a few people and see what suits you the best and get going on it. So I suppose what I'm, what I'm saying is like, we are unique in the construction industry in that we have the opportunity to spread our wings a lot quicker and a lot faster than a lot of other industries. And people are much more, um, I suppose, welcoming or, or much more likely to take you on board. And it's an old saying, but it's a true one, give you a start. And literally, you know, the limits are endless from there. You know, like if you come in, like I know from a, from people that come from our, our part of the world have got experience at certain types of construction techniques. And if you can get into a company that may be in Australia or in America, and you can bring your uh, uh, facets of, of the, the trade or Whatever, whatever part of the industry is that you work in and do them well, you usually can get a, you know, up the ladder very quickly in all of these companies because sometimes, you know, a lot of these uh, countries are lacking in certain trade skills and in, 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 in certain professional skills. So when you come in, you know, and you're willing to, to work and you're willing to get stuck in and, and, and show what you can do, you can usually go up the ladder very quickly, you know. But another thing is, when you travel, you see so many different things. You learn, like I've said this several times, and again, you know, listening to what Kevin said earlier on as well, every day that you go to work is a day when you can prove yourself, but it's also a day when you can learn something. And if you're going to be working in a different environment, in a different country, you can show the techniques and the way that you do something to somebody, but you can also learn the same thing from the tradespeople the uh, professionals that you're working with and just generally how um, different aspects of construction are carried out in different countries. So you're learning on the job and you're able to take that experience back with you to your to your own country at a, at a later stage. So it gives you massive opportunity to, to grow, to gain experience and to progress your career when you then, you know, come back to closer to home. So, you know, like there's so many different um, avenues that you can go down with construction, never feel restricted by them as well, you know. So the, the opportunity to travel is there. The opportunity to learn so many different new things is always there for us. Now, lots of positives there, Pete, lots of positives. But I wouldn't be doing my job properly if I didn't just just kind of balance it a little bit and just put just put <laughs> a little bit of, I suppose it's our duty of care to our listeners, really, which sounds grand. But what I'm saying is, Yes, there are lots of opportunities out there, and now more than ever, because everybody the world over wants construction professionals. They want people to do the work that they've got there. They're struggling to get the people. But there are pitfalls then for those who are looking for opportunities. How do you know that the opportunity is genuine, that you're going into an environment where they're going to be looking after you, where health and safety is as paramount as it is for, you know, perhaps where you're coming from. How do you know that you're going to be 
taking a job where you're actually going to get paid and they're not going to sort of disappear at the end of it and hang on a minute, I've travelled half the world and I've got no money. How do people do the research and, and make sure that they're going to the right job? There's good people and bad people in every part of the world and in every industry and you can never be guaranteed that anything that you do, Steve, but when it comes to construction, like if you're if you're going to uh, a different country to work for a construction company, it's so easy to do research on them these days. Like back in the day, you, you literally were just turning up and you were hoping, you know, you just had to rely on people's good nature that if you'd done a, a day's work that you would get paid for it. But these days, like, I mean, you can have contracts in place. You can have, you know, done research on companies. You can pretty much do a virtual tour of the job that they may be working on at that point in time. You can check out their uh, health and safety resume um, online. There's so many different ways of, of, of seeing all that type of stuff now from literally sitting at your computer and, and, and doing some research. And of course, you can ask these people, you can say, you know, can you send me a sample of, of the work that you're doing? Can you send me your, your health and safety backup on that type of stuff? So in this day and age, that type of stuff is is quite easy. I'm a bit old school. I love kind of, you know, being a little bit, uh, what's the word, living for the moment and kind of going and seeing what, what, what happens. You, you never know until you get to a place as well, Steve. Like that's the reality of it. You may get there and like I, I'm I'm a fair-haired Irish man, so sometimes I, I the heat kills me. You know, I might think, oh, it's great. I want to go to a sunnier climate. But sometimes, you know, you just you may be fatigued by the heat. You may not be able to take it. Like I know a lot of people from, from our neck of the woods go to work in uh, the UAE and Saudi Arabia to the Gulf regions and they basically you know they know when they're going over there that they usually have the jobs in place a lot of the time they're already headhunted by these companies to, to, to go on to travel and there's huge opportunity for people to to make very good money a lot of these countries have tax incentives as well to bring people from the west across so I know several people that have gone over to the Gulf region and who have gone over with their partners and their partners may do maybe work in a in uh, teaching English or, or doing some sort of schooling over there and then they work in, in construction and they put in heavy hours and they work long days but they're, they're, they know at the end of that they are going to come back home with a substantial amount of money. Some people never come back. Some people stay and settle in, in these countries as well. You, you often hear the story of someone saying, oh, look, I, I went, I travelled, I worked for two to three years in the Gulf region or in other, other areas of the world and they came back down and they saved and they basically bought their home or, or yeah. they set themselves <laughs> up in a, in, a, in a certain way. So, like, you know, I think opportunities are, are, are there everywhere. And look, opportunities are no guarantees. You know, you have to meet opportunity with preparation. You have to meet opportunity with a willingness to work. And if you do that, you most likely will come good. And again, what is the harm in trying it? That's another way of looking at it. Do you know what? You can sit at home and you can worry about all the the risks and maybe, you know, it might not work out for me or whatever, but you never know unless you go. You never, if you don't, haven't tried it, if you haven't been there, if you haven't seen it, how are you going to know what it's really like? When I was growing up, my, my mother used to try and push me to go and, uh, go to college and she wanted me to maybe get a, a, a more professional job and, and get a higher qualification but I always said it to her I said ma'am honest to god I just want to be in construction I, I always had this dream of being a carpenter and, and genuinely opened up my own construction company and thanks be to god I've, I've managed to achieve that now not, it's, it's not quite the dreams that I thought it was going to be when I was a young lad but you know it's, it's I really do enjoy it and I wake up every day and, and I really enjoy it but I used to always say to my mom at the time I used to say ma'am she, she used to always say to me well why wouldn't you go and get a maybe a higher paid job and I say listen man and woman has always need shelter and I said the people who are going doing these 
highly qualified jobs and if they are earning big money they're going to need their house renovated they're going to need their house uh, to be to be built for them and do you know who's going to do it man it's going to be me and to this day that is actually happening and uh, I, I like to remind my mom of that as well from time to time you know <laughs> we have endless opportunity as construction people whether you're a tradesperson or whether you're a general operative whether you are a machine driver a crane driver an engineer, an architect, a surveyor, a QS, if you work in professional, if you work on the technical side of it, the limits are endless. The only limits that you have are yourself. You have so many opportunities out there in construction and it is so much at your at your fingertips. Go on to LinkedIn, go on to different platforms like that. Listening to, to this podcast is a very good start. You're learning all the time. You're hearing new opportunities. You're hearing new things. I would just keep on saying to people, spread your wings spread your network, go and enjoy your life when you're young. And you know what? As a construction professional or as a, as a, a person with a construction qualification, you've already given yourself a huge step up the ladder. Well, I think we've got three takeaways from that. One is there's plenty of opportunity out there. Two is do your research before you go. And three is if you're listening to this and you work for Pete, you can't go because he's got a very busy diary and he can't afford to lose <laughs> you in this current situation with the labour market. I am so glad that you said that third one, Steve. I really am. <laughs> no, look, again, I, I really do think that, that you know, Kevin's uh, interview earlier on and um, what I'm saying here as well is that, you know, construction is an absolutely positive industry to be involved in. It's growing all the time and its its parameters are growing all the time. So, you know, the old school way of thinking that if you worked in construction, you basically had a, 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 a lump hammer in your hand and a pair of steel boots on you. That is not the case. There are so many opportunities in so many different ways. Get into construction and you're, you're already taking a step up the ladder. And again, a bit like what we were saying about traveling to other countries. If it's not for you, at least you've tried it and at least you've given it a shot. And then you know it's not for you. Great to speak to you as always. And we'll be back with the next episode very, very soon. Cheers, Pete. Cheers, Dave. Thanks, man. So as Pete heads off to his next job, he's such a busy man. It's left to me to remind you that these episodes are every two weeks and you can get them automatically using your favourite podcast app. Just hit subscribe or follow. You can also find out more and listen to the episodes on our website, constructive-voices.com. Don't forget the dash. If you have time to share, to like, to rate, or even to write a little review of this podcast, we'd be very grateful. And if you've got comments on anything we've talked about or things that you think we should be talking about, you can drop us an email again through the website constructive-voices.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. You're really helping us build something. Music.